today uh, we're talking about leadership and particularly what it means to be, um, you know, a, a, a leader spiritually, not just, um, you know, a worldly kind of mode of leadership, but what does is, what is godly leadership look like? Because, you know, there's various forms of leadership, uh, but uh, we'll see kind of what the biblical form looks like. You know, I think that um, it's been interesting watching uh, from, you know, from the time I was a kid, sort of what a, a man looks like or, you know, what culture does to, um, to men. And um, I've just seen the weakening uh, through advertisements, through television and movies, um, uh, through, uh, you know, the women's lib movement. Uh, I've seen the weakening of men. Um, and, and, and yet there's this, this sort of divide that I've seen. There's the weakening of men, but there's also the the guy that is saying, I'm not going to let that happen. And so he becomes sort of a, an ogre jerk kind of fellow where he's going to say, I'm not going to let, I'm going to be a man. And I've even seen Christian books written about how men should be men. And, and a lot of them, uh, you know, there's some nice things they say in there, but it's almost embarrassing. Some of the things that Christian men say in their stupid books, I'm just saying, um, uh, um, you know, how you got to go out and be a man and do this stuff. And I think it's, it's, um, it's really dumb. Uh, here's the problem. The men that need to soften up and be more gentle with their wives and compassionate, they're the ones reading those books going, yeah, man, we need to be men. And it's like, no, no, you need to just calm down there, buddy. You know, uh, cool your jets a little bit. Uh, and then the guys that should be manning up and probably should be reading those books, they aren't. You know, it's, it's like a, it's a funny conundrum I've seen. And this is just, you know, in years of ministry and talking to guys and brothers and um, that's why you don't hear me talk a ton about books and stuff. It's not that I don't read books or uh, appreciate other authors and stuff like that. I just, there's just a really great bestseller that we've got. Uh, and it's just been timeless and it's just inspired by God and it's called the Bible. And so I kind of I like sticking with that one because uh, you can't go wrong with that one. And so, you know, um, I like looking at what the Bible has to say. And some of the things that the Lord's put on my heart to share with us today about leadership has to do with kind of what our culture has done. Um, and I think our culture, blame it on the culture or blame it on just sinful humanity, but men like to just sit around and we'll be apathetic and won't do anything if anybody allows us to. That's the thing that I've noticed that today, if your wife will do all the work, then the man will say, well, whatever, let her do it. And we sit back and, and we feel sort of like we're locked into just not being who God has called us to be. It's like the... Um, the little baby camel talking to its mother. Mommy, why do I have these big, huge three toes on my feet? And she says, that's so when we walk through the desert, your feet will spread out and set on top of the sand and you can go for miles. Oh, okay. A few minutes later, Mommy, why do I, why do I have these big humps on my back? Well, you know, that's, that's so that you can, you know, drink water and you can go, you know, for miles in the desert without, without drinking, you know, and it's, it's, it'll, it'll last forever. You're, you're amazing. Okay, mom, thanks. And, and you know, uh, mommy, why do I have these big eyelashes? Well, that's when the sand blows and, you know, the wind in the desert. Okay, mom, you know. A few minutes later, mommy, why, am I, why are we in the zoo? <laughs> uh, I, I see, I see out here right in front of me a bunch of men who've got all kinds of characteristics and qualities that are built for doing some serious work. You know, I, I see guys with, with qualities and characteristics that, that really could be mighty in God's hand, you know, tools in God's hand. But I, I fear that we have um, sort of, uh, you know, resigned ourselves to say, well, we're in the zoo. 
We're, we're, you know, we're stuck here and we can't really do what we were created to do. But I believe that's incorrect. And I think that the, the, the Bible constantly has given us these challenges. And I don't know if we even listen, listen that much to them. You know, we got all these examples of the Old Testament of mighty men. You know, the mighty men of David. What a great study that is. Um, and uh, and these, these guys that would step out and do these great, some might call misguided or harebrained ideas. But these guys would just do stuff uh, and see if God was in it. And they'd step out and go beyond. You know, I, I love the story of, you know, um, Shammah, who was given the goofy job to guard the field of beans. You know, you, wouldn't you think that was kind of like the, whatever, guarding beans. Well, when the whole army of the Philistines came over the mountain there, um, Shammah knew his job was to guard the beans, so he stood his ground. And the Philistines were going to just trounce right through that. But he said, no, nope, that's my job. And so single-handedly pulls out his sword. And just starts whirling it around. And, and the Philistines, oh, what is this guy going to, well, one by one, he starts hacking them up. And he defeats the entire army single-handedly of the whole Philistines. Man, I love that. Or those three mighty men. There's David. They're hiding from King Saul, you know, and they're in a cave. And, you know, they've got water. But David says, oh, man, if I could only drink from the water of the well there in Bethlehem. Oh, that'd be so great. Well, three of his mighty men heard that and said, let's go. Let's go get David our leader. Let's go get him some water from Bethlehem. So those three dudes strapped on their swords, you know, went, went out and had to fight through a whole army of Philistines just to get to that well, got the water, busted back through the army of Philistines and went back into the caves and found David and said, here's your water from Bethlehem. Now, David, he's so moved and I still don't fully understand this, but he says, I am not worthy to drink this water. And he pours it out on the ground. I wonder what the guys must have thought. Oh, man, what do we do that for? That was a stupid idea. Shama, Dodo, son of Dodo, uh, Eliezer, son of Dodo. Um, you know, and I could go on with these mighty men. But, you know, Paul says, whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And that's what I feel like we lack. We lack the, it's an old school word, gumption. You know, we, we lack zeal. We lack that uh, uh, ability to go out and risk and try things like those guys. And now, I feel like we've been confined to be the 2017 man who just kind of sits quiet, you know, pays the bills, does his work, uh, you know, kind of shows up at church dutifully uh, and then goes back and tries to have some fun once in a while. I, I, think, that, I think that the Lord might want to call all of us to greater things, to step out and try things and to risk things and not ask everybody to help you to do it, but to do it yourself and step in and step up and... Um, and so there, there's a way to do that, and then there's a way not to do that. And uh, this is where so many who miss the Bible part of this, they miss the, the, the attitude and the demeanor that we're supposed to have uh, when we step out and step up and do those things. And so I want to focus a little bit on that. Uh, in fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks to us about how he leads. I think you can't go to a better example than Jesus uh, to be one who teaches us how to lead. Um, I have some favorite leaders uh, through time in history that I like to talk about and study, but you really can't do better than Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to start there. John chapter 10, uh, verse 11. And there it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are, uh, they are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. 
and the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my father. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, I'm, I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep. And I lay it down willingly. He's not, you know, I think that, that that's one of the things that I think we misportray perhaps in the story of Jesus and the cross. Uh, when we talk about Jesus being dra- dragged out there, you know, by the soldiers, and that he, it's almost like he went unwillingly. Some of the movies pr- present him as sort of fighting and struggling against the whole thing. But that's not the way it was. Jesus said, I lay down my life. I knew exactly what I was doing. When you read the gospels uh, together and the whole narrative, you realize he was totally in control the whole time. And he went willingly. He was, he was willingly laying down his life. It, it, was, a, it was a great show of strength uh, and a great show of leadership. That's why Pilate was like, what in the world? He didn't see a victim. Uh, he saw a guy who knew exactly what he's doing, and, and he, he was confused. And, and the people that were there even trying to crucify him were somewhat, seemed, they, they were the ones who were at, at the mercy of Jesus because he was willing to lay down his life. It's really kind of an amazing swap when you really think about how that all came down. But all that to say, you know, Jesus was the one who says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. There it is, man. That's the kind of leadership Jesus claims to, to show, and he, and he does it perfectly. Um, you know, there's a difference. There's a difference between a shepherd and a sheepdog. That's the problem. A lot of guys that read their books and stuff about man and masculinity and do it, they end up being a sheepdog, you know, barking at people's heels. In, in marriage, in leadership and marriage, you know, they're barking at their wives and nipping at her heels, you know, uh, telling everybody what to do. And that, that's not biblical leadership. And, and those of you that have jobs or been in the military, you know the guys that bark out orders, but they don't have any, you know, chutzpah. <laughs> they don't have any, uh, you know, like real weight to back up uh, that barking, you know, it's just a bunch of barking. And, uh, and everybody kind of knows it. And uh, the, the problem is I, I think that men think that they are supposed to lead by barking out orders and nipping at people's heels. That's a sheepdog. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. Now, by the way, he talks about a whole nother group of sheep that's not of this fold, but it's of another fold, but they shall be one fold. Does anybody want to guess? Who is Jesus talking about there? Anybody? The Gentiles, praise the Lord. We are part of that sheepfold um, mixed together with the Jews. Um, And by the way, that's one of the reasons I don't believe we should try to separate Jews and Christians. Uh, You know, um, it's just a small issue. I'm not, you know, but like Jews for Jesus or people that call themselves Messianic Jews. I know a lot of people get all teary-eyed, oh, Messianic Jews, and I understand that. But, But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there are three people on the earth. There are Jews there are Gentiles, and there's the church. And there's a lot of my Jewish friends that don't like that. They want to keep being Jewish, 
uh, and, and say, yeah, but we believe in the Messiah, but we're still Jewish. I understand their heart for that, and they can still do those things that they want to do. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't say that. It says it's one new sheepfold. And even Ephesians chapter 2 says that, you know, two were distant, far off, but they shall be put together. And there's one new man, the Bible says, in the church. So read Ephesians chapter 2 for those of you that are maybe wrestling with that issue. But um, I love the fact that we're all part of the sheepfold of the good shepherd, the, the, and later called the great shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. Shepherd, you know, what does a shepherd do? When you read Psalm 23, um, he leads me beside still waters. You know, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. This is the leadership of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, he leads us into good places. And, he, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because it was uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower who was a great leader, and he actually uh, was, was asked, uh, what, what's the key to good leadership? And, and I, I kind of thought this was a good one. He said this, he said, um, you know, he, well, he actually walks up to, uh, and, and sets a big string on the table. Um, and he says, pull it, and it'll follow you wherever you wish. Push it, but it'll go nowhere at all. It's just that way when it comes to leading people. A leader's personal momentum will lead a team uh, with their momentum. Um, they, need to, uh, they need to follow a person who's leading by example, and he called it creating the pull. Creating the pull. That's what Eisenhower said. See, you know, that's the thing I love about Jesus, is he, better than Dwight D. Eisenhower, he actually created the pull by just being who he was. People wanted to be around him. People wanted to hear what he had to say. People wanted to be like him. Um, you know, when Jesus died, was buried, and then rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, um, the people said, man, all we want to do is be like Jesus. And so the enemies of the church, the early church, they called them, them the most insulting name you could think of. What was the most insulting name they could give to the early church? Anybody? Christian. That was the name the enemies gave. And what does Christian mean? It means little Christs. You're just little Christs. And it was an insulting thing. Um, by the way, the church in the earliest form, they called themselves the way. Uh, kind of interesting. But they called themselves the way. The enemies called themselves Christians. But the Christians, in being insulted by calling them little Christ, they were like, thank you. We like that delineation. We'll go with that one, enemies of the church. We like being called little Christ because that's all we endeavor to be is try to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can. Uh, I like that, how that happened in the early church. And we're still called Christians, for the most part, uh, today. Um, so little Christ, being like Jesus. Jesus inspired people to be more like him. He led by pulling, creating the pull, if you would, so that everybody was drawn to him. You know, people would draw by the multitudes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all jealous. Why are these guys, you know, all going out into the middle of nowhere and uh, seeing this guy preach? And they became defensive and, and uh, they wanted to be esteemed by the people, but they weren't. And Jesus was, in fact, esteemed by the people. Flip over to the Gospel of Mark real quick. I want to show you Mark chapter 10. You know, it's kind of the lesson of the tens. John chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and it's Mark chapter 10, verse 42. It says there in Mark 10, 42, but Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles 
exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. Jesus is talking about leadership there. Verse 43, but so shall it, uh, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, here's the worldly leadership, these dudes that are all trying to exercise lordship over people. And that's one of the mistakes I think leadership people make is they're trying to control people and lord over people. You know, that's one of the things that, that the Apostle Paul talked about, about his leadership role in the church. He didn't come to have dominion over people's faith, but to be helpers of men's joy. That's what he says. You know, have you ever been a part of a church that had dominion over your faith? You know, it's amazing. You can find as legalistic of a church as you want uh, out there. Um, I know some people that go to this church that used to be a part of churches where if you wanted to, you know, buy a car, you had to go and get approval from the pastor. If you wanted to, you know, be married, you had to make sure that the, the, the church elders were 100% on board. And um, that's always a good thing to be willing to do is have your brothers around you, you know, make sure it's the right thing. But these people, they, they were like controlling and, you know, and, and there's some very legalistic people. And, and that's not the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. The, the, the leaders in the church should be those who are not overlording over people, but, um, you know, uh, helping men with joy being helpers of men's joy. And leadership is a, is a real privilege to be able to lead people in the ways of the Lord, you know. And, and you know, and, and, and at that point, there needs to be submission as well. And, and, and by the way, that's one good sign of a great leader is he's been willing to submit himself, uh, you know, to someone who's over him. Um, you know, it's a willing submission, not an overlording kind of thing that people are asking. I think that's the, one of the mistakes that church leaders often make is they tend to want to control people. Um, and I have to say, you know, from a Sunday morning, you know, um, people are always, um, you know, Brett, you know, you're trying to tell us what to do. You know, I, the, you know, the big one I get is the alcohol thing. People say, oh, Brett, you, you won't let us drink alcohol. I'm like, am I chasing you around? Like, am I running around at the grocery store? Hey, what are you doing? Um, I heard, this is a true story. Yesterday I had a meeting with a guy and he was telling me that he and his wife went to see a movie. Uh, one of those movies, you know, where they uh, serve food and, and drinks and stuff. And it was uh, this movie, uh, Rory and something about the country singers, you know, the girl that had cancer. And I don't know if you guys saw that. Was, uh, I didn't see it, but he went and saw that because uh, his wife wanted to go see it, so he went there. But there were these ladies in front of them uh, and they were just sitting there and having a great time. They had their wine glasses and they're all, you know. And Jimmy was just chuckling, you know, thinking it was funny. Oh, I shouldn't have told you who it was. Um, but uh, he, he said, uh, he said, uh, he, was, he and his wife were just kind of laughing because these ladies were having a great time and everything. But then he, he and his wife heard him say, the, the one of the ladies says, man, I'm sure glad Pastor Brett's not here. <laughs> it's like, what? When did, I, when did I say that was, I've never said you can't drink wine. Have I ever said you can't drink wine? No, I've not. 
Now, drunkenness is a sin. Uh, if you want to know what the Bible says, I'll tell you. Drunkenness is a sin. If you're drunk and the world defines drunkenness as uh, what? 0.8 or whatever, 0.08. Uh, that's drunk. That's a sin. I'll tell you. But I'm, even with that one, I'm not going to hunt you down if you're 0.9 or whatever. Uh, I'm not controlling you. Uh, and I'm never wanting to. I, that's the worst thing I could ever think of is chasing all you guys down with your alcohol or smoking weed, or whatever. I'll tell you what the Bible says, uh, and I want to help you with joy. Now, if you're a guy who's going out and getting drunk all the time, you're, that's not going to be joyful for you. It might be for, you know, the moment you're drunk, but, uh, but there's going to be real pain that comes along with the drunkenness, you know, and, 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 and broken families and marriages, and it gets worse from there. I'll tell you all that, but I want to help your joy. That's what I'm doing. See, yeah, you know, I think that there's a difference between the, the people who are trying to overlord and hunt you down versus the person who's trying to help. That's, that's kind of an interesting conundrum sometimes as a leader in a church at least. And you'll feel that as a leader in your home with your kids. You'll feel like uh, that sometimes as a leader, even in your workplace when you're leading a, you know, a crew or, or a team or whatever, wherever you work, there's going to be things you really want to see your team excel and you know what they need to do to excel and you're going to lovingly try to come and help them. But ultimately it gets down to whether or not those people want to follow and be inspired and be led or even pulled. The way that you can become more of a puller instead of a pusher is to lead by example. And you can't think of the better example than Jesus, who really did lay down his life. You know, why do you suppose um, all the disciples, with the exception of John, died martyrdom, mart uh, horrible deaths? You know, one of the disciples was sawn in half lengthwise because he wouldn't deny Jesus. Another disciple was beat over the head with a club until his brains came out, literally. Um, there's history that tells us about these deaths of these martyred disciples of Jesus. You know, Peter was hung upside down on a cross, just like Jesus, only upside down. Um, you know, John, they did try to kill him in a boiling pot of oil, but he, the old guy, man, he didn't die. It's like the Lord protected him. He's like just sitting in the jacuzzi, like, you know, like, what's going on here? And, um, and he survived and lived, you know, past 90. But these guys, what made them guys that were willing to lay down their life for their faith? I believe it's because they hung out with Jesus Christ. You know, one of the best ways to become a leader is to hang out with a leader. I love the disciples, you know, they're in Acts chapter 4. You know, in, in, in John chapter 20, they're assembled for fear of the Jews upstairs. They're all chickens up there shaking in their sandals. That's John chapter 20. But then you see the disciples uh, in Acts chapter 2, the same disciples who were totally afraid for their lives... Then in chapter two, the spirit comes upon them. Peter preaches a glorious sermon. 3,000 people are saved. And then you see Peter and James and John talking about Jesus all over town. So the Sanhedrin, the same dudes that pulled Jesus in and crucified him, those same guys came and said, what are you guys doing telling this name of Jesus, which we've told you not to say? And Peter, James, and John, what did they say? They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. They weren't afraid of these guys. What happened between John 20 and Acts 4? Well, I think there's a couple things. One, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, key to good leadership. But then also, they were, they were bold. It's like Jesus. Remember in John chapter 20 when they were afraid? What did Jesus do? He breathed on them, the Bible says, and he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. It's like the Spirit of Christ and that boldness suddenly came upon them. And do you remember there in, in Acts chapter 4 when uh, you know, they healed the dude and, and they, they, they marveled uh, at the boldness of these guys? 
And they said, these guys are just fishermen from Galilee. And it says, they marveled that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Man, I love that. You know, um, I, I see that uh, in, in the years that I've been in ministry. You know, the pastors that, um, that I am inspired by or the guys that I think preach or teach with power and authority, they're not necessarily the guy that makes sense why they're doing what they're doing. Most of the guys I've appreciated over the years are guys that really have no business being there. I marvel that they're kind of unlearned and ignorant men who God is using powerfully. They're not, you know, guys that have written commentaries uh, uh, and done all those things. I, I think that the unlearned and ignorant men benefit from the guys who wrote the commentaries, uh, who went to seminary and did all the hard work, but, but they, they were able to stand on those guys' shoulders and they were guys like Peter and James and John who were just fishermen, who were doing great things. It's amazing when you think that guys that everybody thought were dumb from Galilee, fishermen from Galilee, uh, they marveled at them. But what did those guys do? Well, you know, it, it, it says later on in the, in the story that those guys, they were able to turn the, the world upside down. Uh, which to me was turning the world right side up. You know what I mean? It was already upside down and they turned it right side up. Uh, because they preached the gospel and it, and it spread throughout the whole world. Isn't it amazing that a couple fishermen from Galilee spread the gospel to where thousands of years later we're sitting in Portland, Oregon talking about what they were doing, what they were saying, what was their deal? It's because these guys were just leaders inspired by God. Even though they were unlearned and ignorant men like us, they were able to do mighty works and you see that all throughout the scriptures and the Bible even rem reminds us, man, I wanna use, the Lord would say, the weak and the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. Um, man, most of us in here qualify. If you're really smart, if you're an intellectual or like to present yourself that way, um, I'm sorry, you're probably not called. You're probably not gonna be used because people say, well, you're an intellectual. That's why you're so amazing. But God says, nope, don't wanna do that. I actually want to use the weak and the foolish. You know, it's the whole Gideon story. Where Gideon, you know, he wanted to be, uh, you know, have a huge army. And God says, man, I want to show that I can save by many or by few. And so he whittled down Gideon's army to 300 men fighting against, you know, a huge army. And God says, I'm going to show that I can use very little to do great things. And so, you know, if you feel like, man, I don't know if I qualify, that's probably a good sign. That means you are qualified. Well, Brett, I, I, I have troubles, I sin, I do. It's still qualified. Because um, those guys in the Bible were also qualified, even though they were sinners as well. So some stuff to think about. But, but Jesus says, you know, if you want to be great, um, then you need to become a minister. The word minister, we've kind of warped that word. You know, minister comes with its own clout today. I'm a minister of the gospel. Like that's some big deal, you minister. But the word minister means slave, servant, to serve people. Uh, I think we've missed the meaning of that, you know, that, that it means to serve, not to be served. And Jesus even said that, I've come not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And that's the leadership of Christ who lays down his life to minister, to serve, to love, to reach out, to do the work. Jesus was willing to do all of that. I see guys from time to time who want to be the leader and they want the big desk and the big chair, but they don't want to do the work. Uh, and they're, they're you know, um, thinking that people are going to follow them somehow. 
Uh, but that's not the way it works. Jesus lays it out. You got to be a servant. You got to be a shepherd, not a sheepdog. You need to be a puller, pulling people into uh, create the pull in your own life. Um, you know, I've been blessed to grow up around guys that were pulling other brothers, other men to do great things. Um, I think probably my, my number one uh, example, and you know, I have to be careful here because I, I, I'm realizing uh, as time goes by, um, some of you guys have exalted my dad to, um, you know, sainthood and deity. He's almost deity because I talk about my dad with great fondness and I do because uh, my dad is an amazing guy on a lot of levels. Um, but he, I'll, I'll say this, he's a sinner just like all of us. I'll tell you, he loves to go really fast. He, 100 miles an hour, 160 miles an hour, he likes to do that. And he's done that on the highway. I'm just going to tell on him right now. Uh, so he's a sinner and he, he, he does things that he shouldn't do. Uh, uh, often, but, but, but. <laughs> so that, let's just say that. But, but the thing I love about my dad is, is um, I've always watched, and this is what a true leader does, is, is, is create the pull around other men. I've watched for years other men say, man, if I could just be like your dad. And I remember as a little kid, you know, guys on the, whether you're talking about uh, a guy being a, a husband or a father or a worker at work, People just wanted to be like my dad. I remember watching that. Um, I remember people trying to imitate my dad. Um, and it was kind of funny because they couldn't do what he did. Um, I'll never forget, like this, this is a great moment for me. Uh, I probably won't do this story justice, but we, we, were, we were getting ready to build what, what is called now the Mountaintop Retreat Center. And, um, you know, I was like in high school. And uh, I was working in construction with my dad for a little while and doing some stuff. And uh, we had this... This cool thing, this, uh, this old uh, lumber mill in Medford was being decommissioned and torn apart of the old Medco building. And, um, uh, and, and it had all this huge timber, these trusses, you know, that were giant, you know, like, uh, like giant old growth timber trusses and stuff, just amazing beams and all that stuff. And so the, the guy that owned the building said, man, you guys, the church, you guys can go in there and take whatever you want out of there and use it on the mountaintop retreat center. So when you go to the retreat center, if you've ever been there, there's these huge, massive old growth beams. Like, where did they get all these awesome old beams? It's from that old Medco building. But we were there on this cold afternoon and we had a crew and, and my dad, he was, you know, giving out orders, kind of, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these, you know, and my dad, he'd always kind of whip, wab, zip, zap, here's what you got to do. And, and I remember he was given some instructions on this one particular set of trusses and they were big uh, and heavy, but he's, he was kind of describing how we were going to detach them from the ends, cut off the ends. Uh, and then with, with block and tackle, we were going to kind of lower the beams safely to the floor. And... Um, and there were a couple guys who didn't really know my dad very well, but they said, you can't do that. That's impossible. Um, and uh, and I, I just knew when you, say, when you tell my dad that, that's always a bad thing. And I'll tell you why. Because my dad never asked a, a guy to do something. He knew he couldn't do himself. Like, my dad could do it. And he would figure out a way to do it. Um, you guys know guys like that. You know, guys will just get her done. And so the guys, they were like, yeah, you, you can't do that. that. That's not right. You know what? And, um, and a bunch of other guys were like, well, well yeah, yeah, we really can't do that. I'm not sure if they didn't want to or they didn't think it was safe or whatever. So my dad's like, Brett, get up on the other end. So like literally we jumped up. My dad, and I, I, I got to tell you, I think my dad was kind of showing off at this point. I don't know, maybe but he wanted to show it could be done. But it's a long story, but we got up on, uh, you know, up on the ends of these, uh, you know, 
walls. And my dad literally gets the thing tied off uh, and, and he gets, and with one arm he's hanging off here and the other arm he's cutting with a chainsaw, <laughs> uh, cutting off this beam. And the guys are like, I, I can just see him. They're like, and, and literally, and I was like a little nervous on the other end because I knew if anybody's gonna drop the ball, it's gonna be me, not him. <laughs> But uh, long story short, um, by the time we did, like in like five minutes, my dad had this thing down and the beam on the floor and, and the guys were just like jaws dropping. He's like, now that's how you do it. And then he literally walked off and the guys were looking at each other like, what are we gonna do? We can't do that. But, but you know what's funny? Uh, those guys, the rest of the day, we got up there and uh, got the rest of those beams down and uh, the same way my dad, my dad modeled the way you do it. And, uh, and you know what's, what's great about that is I think those guys went away that day. I remember the feeling going away, like they really got something accomplished. And they were kind of amazed that they were able to do something they really didn't think they were going to be able to do. Um, and I, I, I think that that's the kind of inspiration sometimes men need. You know, older men who've, who've got some experience and have been through some things to be able to say, no, it, it can be done. You can do this. And let me show you how. And just get your hands dirty and get out there and do those things. That's what it means to pull, create the pull so that men are inspired to do greater things. And, and I think Jesus did that perfectly. I saw my dad do that. You know, I saw my own pastor uh, do that, by the way, uh, in a spiritual leadership kind of way. Every time I was around my pastor, it was inspirational. Uh, every time I hung out with my pastor, I, I, I just wanted to read the Bible more. I wanted to learn about the, what the scriptures teach and know it better. I wanted to look for opportunities to minister and, and serve. And, and when I watched him teach the Bible, I wanted to uh, teach the Bible just like him. Uh, there was something about that, that that was inspirational. John Quincy Adams said this, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are in fact a leader. What did he say? If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. And, and that's something to start asking yourself right now. Ask yourself, have I inspired anyone to do anything? Have I inspired my kids to learn more, dream more, be more, do more? Have I inspired my coworkers to do more? Well, I'm not in charge of them, but the leader doesn't have to wait for a title. You know, the leader is the one who says, um, man, I'm going to take whatever role I have and whatever position I'm in, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead <clears throat> by example. I'm going to the, create the pull. And as you create that pull, you'll find people who are willing to, uh, to give it a whirl and give it a try. Um, pretty inspirational men in my life. My dad, my pastor. Uh, I've got brothers here at Athey Creek that I lean heavily on that are uh, true leaders. And I'm so thankful for, you know, our elder team of guys. And, and uh, you know, they inspire. They make me want to do better and go further and work harder. And I think that's kind of a key for, for each one of us. I hope you're, if you don't have people like that, I hope you, you look for guys that you can glean from and learn from and be inspired by. Um, now, be careful on this one because sometimes, you know, well, I want to hang out with Donald Trump because he's the president of the United States. Well, you may not be able to do that. Plus, I wouldn't really recommend that. Um, if you're talking about spiritual leadership, uh, godly leadership, I got other guys I would uh, maybe nudge you toward instead of him. Uh, but um, find somebody who's not already busy, you know, over, overloaded, busy. Find other, there's a million men out there that I wish I could just hang out with. 
and, and learn from and glean from. I mean, I even look at this group of guys here and I'm always kind of impressed with some of the, the brothers, you know, we have. And, and there's, they're from all different walks of life and they offer different skills, you know. Um, you know, I look at Terry right here. Terry is a guy who I got to hang out with uh, when we went scuba diving on our church trip. And uh, Terry's a guy who, you know, he's just a good old boy guy, but he's one of the smartest guys I know. Uh, seriously, like if you go talk to him, you'll learn something. Uh, I, you know, I just am so impressed with what God has done through him. And, and you know, yeah, so I see Al back here, one of my elders. You know, here's a guy who's uh, worked hard all his life. And he's worked with a lot of different groups and companies and just have seen what he's done, you know, uh, with people. And, and then helping to lead this congregation, you know, with, with me. And, you know, I think of, of what God has done through him. I, I see Livio here, you know, and Livio's a guy who has kind of the craziest life story you might ever hear. But he's been through a lot. And uh, he's got some, you know, some, he's like a, a creative thinker. And uh, you, you'll be inspired. If you talk to Livio, uh, uh, you'll, you'll be inspired to think about things that you maybe have never even thought about before. You know, I love that in, in some of the guys. And I could go on and on with a ton of guys in this room who are just guys, you know, Chris Thompson sitting back there just chilling. Uh, I wish I could just hang out with Chris for hours. You know, here's a guy who speaks Chinese, lived in China for 15 years as a missionary, but teaching. Uh, he knows physics and chemistry and math, stuff that I don't know to care about that much. Uh, uh, but, but as far as his life experience and what he's been through, man, there's a guy who's just kind of been through it all. Uh, you know, I mean, like I could go on and on about you guys. Um, and so uh, I would recommend that as brothers, we sort of, you know, in, in a godly biblical way, um, I don't know if I want to call it network, because that's such a worldly term, network. But, um, but maybe more of a discipleship sort of idea, uh, mentoring, discipling, and don't try to make it geeky formulated. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we're gonna meet every Friday at 6 a.m. Gonna... You can do that if you want, that's great. But I, the reason I call it geeky is because it's destined to fail. Guys get busy. Sometimes we can't keep up with that stuff. Um, but, I, you know, and I've never really had that thing where I've hooked up with every, a guy. You know, people, you know, when, when they think of how I was sort of mentored by Pastor John at Applegate, um, you know, that, and that's the truth, I was. But do you want to know how many meetings he and I had together over the years? You know, I worked there for 13 years, started when I was 17 as an intern and, and went on for 13 years there. And I could probably say I met with him maybe 15 or 20 times one-on-one. -on -one. But it was more just kind of choosing to position myself around him to be near. If he needed help, I was going to be the guy that was going to be within our arm's reach where he'd say, hey, Brad, I need you to go. And I'd learn and watch him lead. And I'd learn how he led um, and, and, and sort of make myself be around people that could inspire to, to help me to learn what it means to be a leader. Does that make sense? I hope you guys are willing to do a little bit of work on that. Um, what doesn't work is if, um, you know, the 2,000 guys that go to Athey Creek come to me and say, Pastor Brett, we want you to mentor us. I can't do that. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, as much as I'd love to hang out with you guys, but I also feel very ill-qualified to do that. But, uh, but at the same time, uh, there's so many other brothers and different levels of guys that you can glean from and learn from. Men who've been through sickness and cancer, people who've been through divorce and br brutal times and had, had to learn how to, you know, um, deal with divorce and then their children and the mom teaching them to do one thing and you wanting to teach them to do another thing and the pain that goes along with it. There's brothers who've been through all that and um, they can help encourage you through some of the hard things in life. And man, I, I could just go on about what, what is available. 
Um, the problem is, whether you're the guy seeking leadership and, uh, and mentorship and discipleship, or if you're the guy who should be mentoring or discipling, the biggest problem of the whole formula here is, is um, apathy. Guys just chilling out and doing nothing. Uh, doing whatever's generally required of us. We need both men that will step up and men that will uh, reach out uh, to pull up guys and um, get them over the wall, if you would, you know. Um, and, and so uh, I've got a few things here. I know um, I'm kind of rambling, but let's, let's bring a little structure to this whole thing. Um, I've got, uh, let's see, four Ds for you to remember because um, it'll help you learn what kind of a leader you are, perhaps what kind of role the Lord would want you to play in this whole thing of leadership and what have you. Um, you know, I think leaders are, in fact, in some ways developed, okay? They really are developed. And so I want to um, I want to show you those, those four D's. Now, the first D to consider in your own life personally is design. Design. How has God sovereignly and uniquely wired you? Because um, each one of you bring sort of different things to the table that are valuable and beneficial. And uh, one of the biggest goofs I think we make is uh, we don't consider who God made us to be. Uh, we don't have an accurate view of who we are. Um, it's always interesting to me. I've had, uh, you know, young men come up to me, Brett, I want to be a worship leader. Well, here, let's, uh, let's, here's a guitar, man, or here's a piano, here, let's play, you know. And, and man, they can't sing, they can't play, they don't have any rhythm. And you're like, how do you tell that guy? It's, it's the old American Idol thing, you know. I'm a singer. Oh, like, and everybody's like, ah, tell them, somebody tell them. Who, where were their parents, you know? They're not a singer, you know. Um, in some ways, I feel like guys do that, you know. Um, I want to be a, uh, uh, you know, uh, and here's the problem. It's, it's this whole idea of um, what you have a passion for. Uh, it's becoming laughable now. I mean, I'm hearing people joke about, oh, are you passionate about, I have a, and you have to say, passion. You have to say it with a certain, I can't do it in the millennial way. There's a, a way millennials say, passionate, really passionate. And, um, and um, the problem is, I, I'm pro-passion. I really am pro-passion, as long as the passion is congruent with who you really are. Because I see people passionate. Um, I, Brett, uh, want to be passionate about what you've done. I want to go out and start a church somewhere. The problem is there's guys that really should be doing that and should have a passion for that. Um, but there's also guys that have no business even trying. Uh, it's, it's not in their gift set. That's not in their wheelhouse. And, um, and far be it from me to know what that is for you. Um, I, I can't tell you, are you going to be a pastor of a church someday or not? Um, that's something kind of that you need to discern, pray about, let the Lord speak through the people who are closest to you, and really listen to them. Um, I've made the mistake of just because I liked a guy and thought he was cool, of saying, man, you are, yeah, you should go out and start a church because that's what he wanted to do. And I gave him a pat on the back. And you know what I reminded myself of? Nathan the prophet, when David wanted to build the, ta the, the temple, remember that? And Nathan said, yeah, knock yourself out, go build the temple. And then Nathan was told by the Lord, I didn't tell Nathan, David to build the tabernacle, the temple. And he had to go back and, you know, embarrassingly say, sorry, David, I told you to go do that, but God doesn't want you to do that. I've told guys, because I love pastoring, and I wish that all of you guys would do what I got to do. Go out and start a church somewhere in any town in America. There's a million towns that need a good Bible teaching, verse-by-verse -verse church. Uh, go out and do that. Like, I, I want you all to do that, but 
as it turns out, as, as I've been ministering, not all of you guys are cut out for that. Uh, others of you would say, no, I'm, I'm passionate about starting a company, a business, but you can't even balance your own checkbook. You, you don't even know how to, like, you know, uh, basically keep your head above water financially, uh, but you make $100,000 a year. Uh, it's amazing how many guys I know that they say, man, I'm totally broke and I, I just don't make enough money. And, and when we sit down and look at their budget, I'm like, man, you make a ton of money. And they're like, no, we don't. I'm always broke. And I'm, that's because you haven't budgeted. You haven't worked out the whole plan. And, you know, without vision, the people perish. You're probably not going to be the greatest businessman if you don't know how to, you know, balance your own checkbook and, you know, do your own budget. Um, so the, the question is, what has God really wired you to do? You, how has he designed you? Um, now, by the way, there is a scripture um, that I've done entire teachings on, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it this morning. But Romans chapter 12 um, is a beautiful section where Paul says, here are your motivational gifts that God gives to people liberally. He'll liberally give you gifts and giftings. And I love the Romans 12 gifting list because it helps you sort of identify. I'd say it's, it's at least step one, you know, to, to discerning what has God gifted me in? What area has he gifted me in? Um, you know, like it's uh, Romans chapter 12, verse six through uh, um, nine. He says, you know, having gifts differing one to another in the grace that God has given us, whether it's prophecy and then goes on ministry or teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, which is like administration, um, showing mercy. You know, some of you guys, I know guys in this congregation that are just merciful guys. Their, their heart goes out to people that are hurting and struggling. And they've got this gift to be able to reach out and pull people that are hurting up. That's not my gift. I wish I was better at that. Um, Sometimes I think I feel so bad about people that are going through hard things. Like I don't even want to be there because I, I feel even more bad the longer I, like I'm not the greatest merciful guy. I, I wished I was better at that. I'm really thankful that I've got on my team of uh, Athey Creek staff, merciful guys, uh, merciful women who go out and minister in a way that's really, really right and good because they're gifted in that area. Um, you know, th th this list here might help start to discern a little bit of what you've got. Um, ruling, mercy, you know, um, these, these are the kind of things that we could talk about. If you're interested, you can download the teaching on Romans 12, the, the you know, motivational gifts that God gives us. And so that's what you have to do is to, you know, and, and by the way, this is reasonably simple, I, I got to say. Um, uh, do what you're good at. Uh, if you want to be passionate about something, make sure you're doing, being passionate about something God really has gifted you in. Um, you know, uh, if you have a family member or your wife is always telling you, man, you should do this more. Or your wife's saying, you should go do that. You know, um, uh, I know a guy that his wife told him forever, you should write a book. And he's like, oh, I can't write. I'm not going to write. And just sat around. But she's like, no, you're a really gifted writer. Uh, and then years ago, finally, she convinced him to write a book, and his book ends up blessing thousands and thousands of people. And it's it's kind of cool when you see a guy sort of blossom in the gifting that God has really given him. And uh, that's that's kind of important. Um, so the first D is design. How did God make you? What is your area of gifting, and how are you going to use it? Maybe find other people who have that same area and see how they use that gifting and uh, use them as mentors, as leaders, inspiring you to move forward. First D, design. Second D, then, is direction. 
once you discover, you know, the, the gift that God has given you, whether it's, you know, administration or ruling or, you know, teaching or instructing or mercy or, you know, once you've got to figure out what that is, um, then you need to do is uh, uh, move out in that ministry, even at great risk. Um, you know, take risks in that area. Um, you know, direction, you know, there's an old saying, you can't steer a parked car. And I think that's true. Um, I think that, you know, you, you have to start moving forward. And then as you're driving, you start to see where you need to go. Um, and this is what happened to me. You know, a lot of guys are like, Brett, I want to teach the Bible, like what you're doing. And I'm like, that's cool. But are you willing to do kind of the test drives that I've had to do? I mean, I'm not trying to say that I was, you know, went through really hard, horrible times or anything like that. But let me just say this, you know, people say, well, Brett, you've got a church and there's tons of people that come and you're going through the Bible and teaching and that's what I want to do. I want a Wednesday night, just like you. But you have to understand, I did about a thousand Bible studies that failed uh, before uh, I got to do Athey Creek and teach the Bible here, which is such a blessing to me. Um, I had Bible studies where nobody showed up ever. You know, this one cracks me up because I'm here talking to the group of guys. This is great. You know, when Athey Creek first started, um, I, I begged guys, hey, let's start a men's breakfast. You know, and Athey Creek had 20, 30, 40 people at that time. And, uh, and I was just trying to get the 10 brothers to get together on a Friday morning. And I'd show up at Miller's Homestead, which has sent Burke down. Um, but I was at Miller's Homestead. I'd show up and I would, nobody would be there. It'd just be me and my Bible. And I was like, man, how do I get the men, you know, and to come and, and study the scriptures? Um, it's kind of a funny deal uh, how that actually worked out. Some of you guys were there back in these days. I got one guy, and I, and I, I didn't invite everybody. I, I got one guy. You guys, maybe some of you guys remember Dr. Jim. Uh, he's since moved. Uh, but Dr. Jim, I said, hey, Jim, uh, I want to take you through the book of Daniel. I think that you'll benefit from going. Th- it'll just be 12 weeks, you and me, book of Daniel, Miller's Homestead Restaurant, Spanish omelet. It'll be awesome. Have you ever had the Spanish omelet over there? Oh man, it's great, except for it you know, sticks with you all day. Anyway, um, uh, but uh, so Jim and I started going through the book of Daniel. Well, the funny thing was, is the guys in the church heard, well, Brett's going through the book of Daniel with Jim. And, and then there was this one guy, hey, Brett, can I join you and Jim for that Daniel study? And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> sure. We'll, we'll let you, you sneak in, you know. It was like I was provoking these guys. Well, eventually we ended like 10 guys. And, uh, and, then, and then the guys were like, this is really great. And we've seen really good benefit from this. So when we finished the book of Daniel, the, all the guys were like, let's just keep this going. And, uh, and, you know, then we moved over to Denny's. Uh, do you guys remember when we went to Dummies? I mean, Denny's, uh, which is now a strip club, sad to say. But we were there in the back of Denny's. There was a back room that didn't have heat. Was anybody there in those days when we didn't? Gordy, you remember, it was freezing. You, we'd be doing Bibles and be like, <sighs> you'd see your breath, you know, it was so cold in there. Um, but we, 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 and then that grew to like 40, 50 guys. Then we had to move it because it was so big. We moved to um, um, Hayden's Lakefront Grill. Uh, remember that? We moved to Hayden's. And, and then we had a big breakfast there, the bacon at Hayden's. Oh, that's, I remember that sadly more than the Bible study itself, but um, that bacon... <laughs> Hayden's Lakefront Grill um, wasn't exactly kosher, but um, but we we and 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 then we got so huge we couldn't fit into Hayden's. So then, do you guys remember what we did? We broke up into I think we had like fifteen men's studies that were meeting all around the Portland area, and this was all in the first five years of Athey Creek, and um, 
And I remember just thinking, I'm kind of bummed, man. Like all these guys that I've got to hang out with for years now, and we split it up. But, but then what I did is I thought, well, I'm going to go um, where uh, nobody will go. Um, and do you guys remember this? Some of you guys remember this. I'm going to go do a, a men's study down in Woodburn. And so we, we went to Denny's there in Woodburn. Was anybody in that study, the Denny's? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Some of you guys came down there. Um, and... Uh, I remember us just going through and it was a smaller group of guys in Woodburn, you know, whoever was willing to go to Woodburn, we did that while there were other groups meeting. And, you know, it was just kind of cool to see um, something that I really was discouraged. I really thought this is not going to work. This is not going to happen. Nobody wants to do Bible studies. There's no guys that want to hook up on a Friday morning at 6 a.m. And that's the way it really appeared. I think it was a solid appearance of failure. Um, when I was a high school pastor, I remember starting high school Bible studies and nobody would show up. And I, you know, failure after failure of Bible studies and, you know, and, and I think, man, I'm never going to be able to do this, you know. Um, but once in a while, the Lord would just sort of throw me a bone. Um, there was this one time, the book of Daniel saved me several times, by the way, on this. Um, I told you about the Daniel study here, but I did the same thing down in Southern Oregon um, with uh, when I was the high school pastor. And I just, I just thought, you know, I'm going to do, do kind of a crazy thing. I'm going to do a 5 a.m. study. And there was this, this little coffee shop under the bridge there in Medford because uh, all the kids had to go to the school there not too far away. And I, I just said, man, I'll be there at 5 a.m. Just me and a cup of coffee. I didn't drink coffee, but um, uh, it was, I think, tea or, or cocoa or something. I'll be there, and anybody wants to show up. Uh, but it was so crazy. I mean, first of all, anybody who gets up at 5 a.m. is crazy. That's the way the kids thought of it. Um, but I think it was so crazy that the kids were all like, let's do it. And they all got up like at 4 a.m., got down to the coffee shop by 5. And th- this is a funny thing. We packed this coffee shop out. Like it was just jammed full of high school kids. And we were just teaching the word, 5 a.m., book of Daniel. Um, and did that for a whole you know, semester and, uh, and the Lord just used that. Some of those kids that were part of that group are now pastors. Uh, I got one guy who's a pastor uh, in Colorado of a church of 2,000 people. Another guy who's a pastor of a church in Bend, uh, Lauren Anderson, who's got a big church in Bend uh, called the, um, the Fellowship at Bend. Uh, like there's fruit from just those guys and the, the meetings that we had there. I, I just see how God had his hand in it. Um, and I'm just so thankful that I had leaders in my life who gave me enough um, faith in God by, you know, being helpers of my faith by watching them do stuff like that, that I was willing to step out and try stuff that seemed kind of crazy and was willing to do that. Now, I'm, I'm giving you examples of what I do, teaching the Bible, Bible studies. What is it that God has you to do? And it may not look like, you know, teaching the book of Daniel. It might look like uh, a whole other thing, going off on the mission field. Or starting a business. Uh, uh, maybe that's your area, just starting a business. You know, I, I know a lot of young guys right now that are saying, I want to start a business, but not just to make billions of dollars. I want to make a lot of money so that I can support Christian churches and missions and, and work that God's into financially. And, and there's a lot of young guys that kind of have this interest right now. But, uh, you know, maybe you've heard of these B Corps and stuff that are, that are starting up all over the place, where it's not just about the making money, but it's about perhaps helping. Like maybe the Lord's got you doing something like that where you need to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and do what God's called you to do. So that's the direction. And the direction you can't steer a parked car, you know, that's why I think we got to step in. Um, uh, one scripture there, by the way, um, I don't know if you want to turn there quickly, Second Timothy. 
Um, it says this, you can jot it down, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 16. Um, uh, pardon me, 2 Timothy 1, 16. Uh, it says that, no, I'm looking for the verse 1, 6. Um, it says in Second uh, Timothy 1, 6, it says, wherefore... I, this is Paul talking to young Timothy, his, his sort of men, mentor E. He says, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us over to the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul saying, and, and by the way, if you read First and Second Timothy, you always hear Paul saying, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Stir up the gift. I like the word stir up there because if you look it up in the Greek, it literally means fan the flame. You know, when you're trying to start a fire and you fan the flame to get it to, you know, really light up. That's what Paul's telling Timothy, man, stir it up. And that's that's how you get that second D is uh, stir up that gift that God has given you. Number three D, we're almost done. First D is design. Second D is directions. Third D is development. Once you have, you know, the direction... Once you know what God has designed you to do, um, that's where I think some good old-fashioned, you know, hard work uh, really pays off. Um, this is where I think a lot of the times the ball is dropped. Guys have vision, they have plans, they have passion. But then they fail with the development part where you're, you're developing. You know, I, I believe there's, uh, just quickly, you might jot these down, five areas of development that you should probably focus on perhaps the most. And there's just a few things that I've kind of noticed in men that need to be worked on. Number one, character. Uh, you, you know, a man of character. What does it mean to be a man of character? Have we lost that altogether? You know, I think to be honest, uh, to be a man of integrity, uh, to have character as Jesus had character. I mean, you know, uh, I, I worry about that honesty and, you know, and, and uh, sincerity and compassion, just to be a man of real character. Um, I believe God can use a man of character. Uh, and uh, I feel like that's perhaps one of the most lacking parts in so many. But that can be developed, by the way, uh, developed by hanging out with men of character, by reading the scriptures and learning what character really is. So number one is character. Number two is knowledge. Knowledge. Um, develop that area of knowledge to know what you're talking about, to be an expert in what you're, you know. There was a guy who wrote a book a while back. I forget what it's called. But remember the guy that did the whole thing on all you need is 10,000 hours. Has anybody read that book? What was that called? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, um, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you will officially become an expert. <laughs> and that's just, what, that's just the, the math of it all, you know. Um, and a lot of you guys grew up playing video games. And, <laughs> and, and remember your, your grandmother would walk up, wow, how do you do that? It's easy, grandma. What she doesn't know is you spent 10,000 hours playing that game, so you really are an expert. And then you give the control to grandma, and there's the, the you know, <laughs> you, know you know what I'm talking about. Uh, she's like, how do you do this? You know, and, and the shooter, you know. Uh, but, um, <laughs> uh, but it's funny to me, by the way, uh, once in a while, the uh, video game guy uh, pl pays off, you know. I mean, is Dane here? Where's Dane? Dane's a guy in our church who, uh, uh, was an expert video game kid. And, uh, and right out of, you know, school, he got a great job with Nintendo. And he got to, you know, 
play uh, video games and test them. And then he got to advise, he was a game counselor uh, where he'd talk to people on the phone. And then he became a game developer. And then he started his own company and did all kinds of really cool stuff with computer games and stuff like that and, and, and built up a company. Uh, you know when you go to Les Schwab Tires and you can put your car on the TV and lift it and put the wheels on it and all that stuff? That's Dane's. Dane did all that with Les Schwab. He created that whole software and you know, the, it's like it's really cool to see how uh, God took a, a guy who did 10,000 hours of gaming. Uh, you're like, that's what I wanna do, Brett. Play games all day. Well, that's the problem. I only know one guy out of the thousands of guys I know. Okay, one other guy who's a military, he flies drones in the military, uh, Athey Creeker, and uh, it paid off to play uh, video games. But, you know, 10,000 hours, um, I, you know, it, it's just really true. If you want to be a good Bible teacher, you need to put time and work into the knowledge of the word or else you won't really be a Bible teacher. Um, so what is that area? You got to develop character, knowledge. Number three, skill. Skill, what skills are required for me to excel in the area that I want to lead? You know, that's in my dad, it's construction. And he knew more about construction than anybody I knew. Um, it was always funny to me because my dad would build dams, bridges, houses, churches, schools. I've watched him build tons of things and he's good at it. And, but I also remember him, you know, the, these goofy inspectors that would come these county officials. And I remember, you know, my dad and the official going round and around about why this is okay and it shouldn't be, you know, and it was just always a hard thing. Um, and then I'll never forget when my dad became a building official and started being a, you know, an inspector. And, uh, but it was so cool because he, he knew so much about, because he was one of those inspectors or, you know, guys that, that would come on a site and know what was legit and what wasn't. Sometimes guys just have a book knowledge about something, and that's really hard to build a house if a guy's just got book knowledge and he's inspecting stuff. But you guys know if a guy has a sense of reasonable uh, mindset about what's gonna work and be safe and last, then you, you know the building codes let for all kinds of interpretation. Uh, and my dad excelled in that because he knew what works. He had some on the job skill and training for years and years, and that's why he was good at what he did. Uh, he retired just a couple years ago, uh, uh, and now he's, riding his chickser all over the town. Uh, but that's a whole other thing. So you got skill that you need. And then also emotions. Um, uh, what's the third, uh, or the, the fourth part of this third? The, the third D is development, but you got character, knowledge, develop skills, but also emotions, develop emotions. I, I, I think that to um, sort of uh, take captive your emotions and to know um, um, how to control your emotions. Um, one of the things that cuts short a man's leadership if he loses his temper. You will lose all kinds of credibility if you flip out. Um, that's something that, you know, I'm told my dad actually had before I was born, that my dad had a furious temper. And uh, he, he really, you know, for the most part, I never saw that because by the time he became a Christian right when I was born and uh, I, I saw a very controlled uh, guy and it wasn't like he was wimpy. I mean, he would fire guys, but it wasn't like, you know, the Jetsons, you're fired, Jetson, none of that. Uh, it was more of the, you know, um, I remember guys, there was a church job uh, we were doing and these Christian guys were working, we were hanging sheetrock. And, um, and these guys were fellowshipping. You know what I'm talking about? Instead of working, they were sitting around and fellowshipping. And, um, and my dad just came up and saw them and they were like, they realized they should have been working because they, they were being paid to do this work. And, uh, and uh, so my dad 
just said, man, that's so neat. You guys are fellowshipping. Why don't you guys take some time? And there's a restaurant up there. Why don't you head up there and you guys can go and, and uh, get a meal and fellowship there. And they're like, really? And he's like, yep. But then, then it kind of struck them. He was firing them. That was his way of saying, you're, you're done today. No more work. You're gone. You're down the road. Um, and he wasn't angry, but he, he you know, so he kind of got a reputation at the same time. Don't mess with Todd because he, he won't get mad at you, but you will pay. If you, if you cross him, if you try to take him for a ride. And there was sort of, there was character there, but there was also um, a, a sense of skill, but his emotions were in the wraps and under control. Whether it's fear or anger or whatever emotions you wrestle with, that's something to develop in your life is when you're doing that which you're called to do and leading, to, to do it with, with, you know, you husband's leadership, man, developing your emotional skill as a husband is huge. That's one of the best ways you can lead your family. And it's, it's a hard one, frankly, because they're the people you care the most about, which is often why you flaff the handle the worst. Um, get the emotions under wraps. And then physical. Uh, there's development physically to be able to do uh, what you're going to do. Um, that's just kind of qu- uh, quickly development. And by the way, development can happen with discipleship. Uh, you know, where we're, where, especially if we're talking ministry or leadership in the church. Okay, back to our D's. First D is design. Uh, second D is direction. Third D is then development. And the fourth D is perhaps the most important. I saved the best for last, and that is devotion. Devotion. Um, you know, you always read these seven ha- habits of a successful leader or whatever. You'll hear read books like that. Let's go back to Jesus. You know, was Jesus uh, a, a person of devotion? I know it goes without saying, but um, what were Jesus's habits of devotion? Anybody want to name a few? Prayer. Jesus was given to prayer. It, you know, if anybody got a pass from having to pray, wouldn't it have been Jesus? He's like, Jesus, man, he's so bound to the Father. Uh, we could even get into the discussion of the Trinity and all that stuff. But, um, but uh, the fact is, Jesus modeled for us to pray always, to pray often. And uh, that's kind of another, that's an important one. What else did Jesus do devotionally? Anybody? Huh? Early morning. And what did you say? Get alone. Yeah. Two really good things. You know, Jesus went out early, it says. Uh, Before the sun even would rise, Jesus was out. But also solitude is what I'll call that. Jesus had the need to get away. This is something I don't think guys do. You know, either you're too solitary, uh, like we were talking about the Lone Ranger, and you're not talking to anybody, and you gotta fight that. You gotta fight that. Um, People don't believe this, but it's true, and and my wife will attest to this. I am perfectly happy to be totally in total solitude. I don't need to be around people. At least I'll just say, emotionally, I don't need that. I know I really do need to be around people, but I am just as happy to be by myself all the time. I don't need that. You know, I've got other pastor friends who always want to get together. Oh, Brett, I just really want to hook up. Let's get pastors together. It'll be awesome. And I'm like, why? (laughs) I really am. I'm not that pastor. I don't need to get around a bunch of other pastors. I I generally don't like pastors. Uh, um, (laughs) Generally, um, you know, strange bunch of people. Um, But here's the thing. Uh, I like just being out in the woods. Uh, I like working out in my shop. I like, uh, you know, riding my dirt bike, you know, by myself. Uh, Not too smart, though, because when you're unconscious, it's hard to get yourself to the hospital. But 
that's a whole other thing. Be that as it may, uh, solitude is the one side, uh, you know, in, in the bad way, but it's also one, th- one thing that it, when you engage and you start ministering and serving, you know, you can get peopled out, especially if you're one who likes solitude just to begin with, but then you get engaged in ministry. Um, you know, I, I'm finding that, it, you know, I realize why Jesus took time away from the multitudes because I think that, you know, um, you, you know there's, a, there's a human need for that, you know. Um, it is funny, if you ever talk to me after the third service particularly, don't be surprised if you find kind of a glazed over look in my eyes. And kind of, you know, Brad, my aunt just died. I'm like, great, great. Why am I like that? I'll tell you, because I've just talked to 5,000 people. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you can only, your brain can only handle so many conversations. At least mine can. Some of you, maybe you're a chatty Kathy and you can handle that. I can't. Uh, sometimes I'm just like, wow, I'm just overloaded. And that's when I realized, man, I need to follow Jesus's lead. And because I'm no Jesus, that's, that's for sure. I'm uh, so far from that. But to get away, to be in prayer, to be in solitude, that's something the Lord tells us that we, we need to do. You know, they would resort unto Jesus, come ye apart, come away. You know, that's something that the Bible teaches us to do. Um, so, you know, devotion in, in solitude, in prayer, um, you know, another thing Jesus did, uh, I'm going to put this under the, the category of, of devotion, is he had a, the small group uh, setting where he would devote time in prayer. Remember when, you know, Jesus would call Peter, James, and John, and they'd go up to a high mountain apart together to pray? There's something about having your smaller inner circle of brothers that I'm talking about. Remember, we did a whole uh, session of Ironworks on accountability. You guys remember that? Um, there's something about you, that team of guys getting away. Jesus did that. And remember, Jesus had to get on Peter, James, and John. Oh man, you guys falling asleep. Remember they would fall asleep on the job? Uh, and, and Jesus said, man, can't you watch and pray with me just even for this short little time? Um, there's something about getting away with your brothers for a little getaway. I, we got to do this with our uh, governing elder team, you know, seven of us getting away last weekend. And we just prayed for 24 hours and it was it's always rich and it's always blessed. Uh, we just get away and pray and we eat and then we pray. Uh, not fasting and prayer, that's not our style. Uh, it should be, fasting is good, but uh, just not for that group. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, but, but there's something about just really carving out some serious time to pray. Well, what do you pray for a whole hour? No, 24 hours. It's amazing how when you sit and be still before the Lord and pray, how much the Lord brings to your heart and your mind about what's important, reprioritization, things that you're doing that you shouldn't be, things that you should be that you're not. Uh, It's through that time of prayer that the Lord just gives you vision and inspiration and, and you come back from that time ready to roll, ready to serve, ready to do what God's called you to do. You see, these, these are things you're not going to hear at the next leadership conference down at the convention center in, uh, in Portland. But the idea of, you know, you know, giving up this life to gain this life, being the humble shepherd, not some, you know, big red tie, power suit wearing guy. That's not necessarily what you got to do. It's being humble, being a servant, coming and saying, Jesus, I want to be empowered by your spirit to do what uh, you've called me to do. Um, and, and then create the pull. Create the pull around you so that when your kids see you, dad, there's a pull of them wanting to be more like you and wanting to go the direction you have chosen. Creating that pull in your home. Uh, Creating that pull around the people that you work. Man, I just like being around this guy because he knows what he's doing on the construction site. 
and he, he knows how to build a house or to build something important. And, and people are pulled and drawn to that, to be that kind of a leader that's, you know, pulling rather than trying to push. Um, th- these are just some notions about leadership that I think we can pray about. And, and then also to know that you have that, that license, that God wants to raise up leaders that are foolish men, weak, goofy guys like us. God says, you're the guy I want to use. And, um, and that's the only reason I qualify for leadership of any kind. It's because I'm you know, weak and foolish like any other guy, maybe just dumb enough to step out and try stuff that, that the Lord just has blessed. And I hope that you guys can do the same thing in the area that you're most gifted. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to, to be men that would lead, Lord, uh, to all the different levels, to the varying degrees, whether we're talking about, Lord, um, leading our families and our homes, leading our wives in your ways, um, leading at work, Lord, where, where not to be the big shot, but to, to inspire people to do better, to go harder, to, to, to grow in their own personal development, Lord. And, and, and then also above all spiritual leadership where we would lead people to, to you, to know you, to, to love you, to follow you, Lord. I pray that every guy in this room would have some way where they lead people to you through mercy or through teaching your word or compassion or lead, uh, uh, administrative skills, whatever skills they have, may they lead people to your son, Jesus. For that's the only thing that matters above all else, Lord, just, just the gospel. So help us in that, Lord. May, may you raise up, stir up within each one of us those leadership qualities, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's stand together.